1: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics is up next and we're going to follow Brandon with John Pollock from Post Post Wrestling.
2: Thank you and good afternoon, everyone. But we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data. Go on Google Trends, type in your name, then type in mine. You're a straight line. I'm a pyramid.
3: I like the very direct question on that.
2: Television ratings, downward spiral. Fire rates, plummeting. The time is now to turn the math around.
3: It is Wednesday, January the 10th. I am John Pollock from Post Wrestling, joined by the CEO, COO, CFO of WrestleNomics, Brandon Thurston. Hello, Brandon. Hello, John. How, how is your internet doing today? Uh, today, so far, so good. We had a really rough patch on Friday, uh, but so far, I so heard. good since. Yes. yes. Are you familiar with Rogers, Um I am now. You are now. They are... The bane of many Canadians' existence, and uh, I want to thank all the people that have privately reached out to me—from people uh, offering their uh, condolences about my internet to people giving me some the fast track to a better service with competitors. I mean, you never know who's listening. Do you, do you no. have options where you are? It's—we th- live in a pretty much a Rogers Bell world. Okay, this is like you're either going Republican or Democrat. Okay, so you, so are, you do
0: have at least those choices. You have two. We
3: choices. at least have some competition here Mm -hmm. uh brandon but there's a lot of tribalism among both Mm -hmm. sides and sometimes late night tweets back and forth between companies and such and uh maybe we will get into some of those today but congratulations on your buffalo bills victorious on sunday over the miami dolphins yes that is all i can tell you beyond they are playing this weekend are they favored is what is they are favored what is the pulse of bills nation going into this playoff run
0: I wouldn't know very well, but they're playing the Steelers, who are the seven seed. And because the Bills won, they are now the two seed and the winners of the AFC East division. Um, the Bills are favored and are playing at home and will play at home unless they play the Ravens, who are the number one seed. Okay. Well,
3: they're not playing on Monday night. That would be quite the head at the head if they were part of this wild card game that is on Monday. But that is um, who's playing next Monday. Anyway, it's it, raw is going the, up the on.
0: That's what's playing on Monday.
3: Is that on Monday too? I think it is, yes. Wow, that's, this is going to be a very busy Monday for, for Raw between NFL competition and the Iowa caucus. But that is about the extent of our football discussion. Actually, it's not because our first story is about the WWE's latest hiring. Somebody that was very high up the food chain in ESPN as it relates to its football programming. So we will start there with a press release that came down from WWE on Tuesday Stating that WWE, part of TKO Group Holdings, today announced that media industry veteran Lee Fitting has joined the company this week as head of media and production. Quote, Lee is a phenomenal leader and executive known for work that generates both critical acclaim and mass appeal, said WWE President Nick Khan. Lee will be a tremendous addition to our stellar media and production team and play a key role in helping catapult WWE's growth. Fitting brings more than two decades of production experience to WWE from ESPN, where he oversaw production for tentpole properties, including Monday Night Football, College Game Day, the college football playoff, and many other properties within the Disney portfolio. The latest edition. And this is somebody that was um, a veteran at ESPN going back to 1996. And many saw it as very, very high up. He was a senior vice president at ESPN and then abruptly left last August, right before the NFL season, was about to begin. And no reason was reported at, at the time why he left. And it sort of is this uh, kind of lingering uh, question. And months later, he is going to WWE. But this is somebody, just from, like, asking around, seems like somebody that was uh, very highly respected. Uh, I was told someone, like, firm but but very fair. But going be, being so high-ranking, had his... Had his allegiances, but also had his detractors in an industry like that, which all we have to look at is some of the headlines this week of the Game of Thrones makeup that is ESPN. That it is just uh, you need to be a, a vulture to succeed in this in this company. But I mean, on its surface, just looking at his accolades, this is a major pickup by WWE in terms of somebody that looked to be, you know, a guy overseeing Monday Night Football and College Game Day, which are two of the premier properties in ESPN's portfolio.
0: Yeah, I think my initial reaction, which I, I sent to you, is that oh, I should have figured in, in the Nikon era they would hire somebody from who was overseeing college game days production. Um, and it, the the key thing here is that it looks like he's going to. I, I, I would guess, just given the timing of Kevin Dunn leaving leaving at the very end of the year, um, this is a high profile production person from ESPN. Uh, he's going to probably take over a lot of Kevin Dunn's duties. I, I, I guess he would be the person in the truck. Uh, During the probably at least like a portion
3: (laughs) of them, like it would seem like like Kevin Dunn had his he wore many hats in in his, you know, decades with with the company that I could see uh, multiple people uh, assuming that. But it seems, yes, like Lee fitting is going to be the the primary key person when it comes to overseeing production. This is the guy that uh, will be defending the tripods and cameras to Mark Shapiro uh, machines.
0: Yes, with, uh, with a butcher knife to make additional cuts. But it's – so it's not the case that somebody is – at least the roles that Lee Fitting will take over, it's not the case that somebody who's already at WWE is going to take over some of Kevin Dunn's roles. I'm sure there's many other roles, right? But it's – we have you know Mike Mansuri, who a lot of people believe was going to be you know, sort of an heir apparent, at least partially, to Kevin Dunn. He's now working for AEW. Um, and, and I – I can't think of any other names off the top of my head who would be candidates for that who are currently with WWE, but um, it's not going to be I've an, seen the an, name, um, someone I'm not as familiar with, but I have heard the name
3: like Marty Miller thrown out there as someone that works. I actually spoke with someone that that used to work with uh, WWE today and was stating like during their time there, it was sort of the idea that the succession plan would probably include like a Mike Mansouri as well as Adam Panucci that some people might be familiar with. I mean, he's been, been – you know, he has developed all of those incredible video packages and has now, like, risen. He was in those, uh, remember those Adam and George sketches back in the 90s, uh, the super fans that would, uh, these okay. were the commercials. very, yes. very, very lame commercials. But, uh, yes. yeah, he was uh, one of the individuals in there. But okay. he is a very, very high ranking on the uh, pr- production side as well. At least a-, a thought was, like, those are names I heard thrown around. But, obviously, Mike Mansori now with AEW.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, it's very abrupt that he was uh, – that he parred ways with ESPN. I understand it was an internal memo email sent out, to ESPN employees that announcing that he had left the company. It was kind of terse, so it did not even thank him for his, his service, to ESPN. So we don't know what the story is there, um, but that's, that's curious.
3: It is, and you can't really, like, speculate beyond that. But, I mean, it is, you know, something that – like, there was – like, to the best of my knowledge, like there was no reporting after the fact uh, over it. And this is someone, you know, 25 I've years looked, at ESPN yeah. and so high up um, that, I mean, it, did, it seemed to catch a lot of people off guard in August when uh, this announcement, as you mentioned, was made very abruptly uh, by Norby Williamson uh, to the staff. Maybe Norby Williamson will come up later on the show. Maybe you will. We'll see. Stay tuned. Every sports reporter is just having their dream news cycle this past week. It's like all of the insider chess pit matches are now playing itself out on the screen. But that is one significant hiring this week. Uh, The other one to focus on goes over to AEW, who has hired Koshay Irby as its new chief operating officer. This was first reported by Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful Select and Irby had previously served as the regional director of live events for the WWE from 2011 to 18 and then left the company. He had been working as the chief marketing officer at Clemson's athletic department uh, has worked uh, many, many uh, different places. This is him uh, on the screen, but coming in and obviously this is a major executive role in AEW and has seven years of prior experience at WWE. And you would think, like regional director of live events is he does he assume some of the rafael morphy uh job description or is that going to be designated for someone else that will strictly be live events i mean
0: coo wouldn't necessarily be booking venues yeah i I would think he's going to take over a a lot of his responsibilities we know that jeff jarrett when jeff jarrett joined AEW, i believe there's a tweet from tony khan saying that you know jeff jarrett is going to join aw and work with Raphael morphy and uh mm. chris harrington former co-host of, of wrestlenomics so i would think it's as far as i know it's, it would be those three mainly involved with live events
3: so that is you know we will, we will see uh do you think we will hear from uh, uh a kosher irby do you think he'll be active on x he's
0: on x i've, I've he is him. on x he is i no i doubt he'll be very active on x um yes you know not weighing in on a uh, cage match ratings or, or things of that nature probably
3: yes this was the um the news that everyone just uh lost their minds over on a tuesday night i can't say i have engaged with any of it because i just don't have the uh Patience. i don't have the internal power to uh, go into twitter drama uh involving cage match ratings and win loss records and such but um dude, if you want to if you want to cause a splash that's how you do it that's how you do it. You just throw out a tweet, throw some uh, some shade at the competition, and everyone eats it up. And I, and I think both sides, I think they both love it. I think they love this attention that it generates. Whether it's positive or negative, I, I don't think they care.
0: Does anyone end up looking better for it? No. Uh, afterward? Does anyone win the, the, the Twitter game, the Twitter video game?
3: No. There's never a score. There's at no winners. End even though you do, you do have likes, uh, you do have an actual scorecard on your tweets. your tweets. But But that, that's uh, sort of skewed by how many followers you have. It is. It is. I, I wish that there was a way to disable like your likes and such. Wasn't that a thing? You can do it on Instagram. You can do it on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. I'd love to do it on X. I would, I would, I would take it up, uh,
0: in in a second that would change people's habits very, very quickly. I think it's really the quote tweet that really ruined maybe not just Twitter, but all of society. Um, the, the, quote tweet didn't exist, I think until like 2016, 17, and and that's really – it's putting somebody in the pillory if you want to use it that way. Obviously, it's not always used that way. But, like, you want to call somebody out and dunk on them. It's the quote tweet. And without the quote tweet, all you would be able to do is reply. Or I guess you'd have to go through the friction of the screenshot and all that. But that's hard. You were early to the
3: dance when it came to disabling of comments on YouTube, on X. But you cannot, you cannot you silence I, I, I never.
0: I, I've only experimented with disabling the replies on, on X. Um, and I realized that it only – motivates an even harsher reaction in the quote tweets but yes all the the youtube like share please like this video uh subscribe share but you, you can't comment i don't care about your comments
3: how how late into the wednesday night war did you start playing around with disabling comments
0: see i, I totally missed out on the wednesday night war WrestleMania would be a completely different business if it started at the beginning of the Wednesday night war, well, if if the if it was what it, what it is now at the beginning of the Wednesday night war, um, I, I I tried at some point fairly early, relatively early on in reporting ratings to disable the replies, but then people took it as oh he does, he's trying to avoid he just want to live in his own live in his own echo chamber. So the 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 thing to do is to just have the discipline to not look at it. That's the only way to win.
3: My uh the at symbol on, on Twitter it just. It hits, like, 20, and it just stays at that. And that's what it's been like for me forever. Oh, okay. I like, I don't click on that. I can see quote tweets, unfortunately. It's hard to avoid those. But if you at yes. me, like, whether it's positive or negative, I'm not 95%, I'm not going to see it.
0: Well, this this is very important, especially if there's any any people in the business listing, is that you can disable the no- notifications for everybody so you won't see them, so they won't come up in your notifications tab. Right. You can you can turn that off in your privacy settings, which I highly recommend if you have more than like 10,000 followers. You yeah. Just, I, Quality the, filter turn that on. Yeah, so I don't see anything that <clears throat> excuse me, anything that's not from people who I follow. And even They're that smart. I don't I don't want to see. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's
3: that's how you play this game. It's uh it, it's it's not it's not as hard as people make it out to be, but it does produce days like today where everyone is just going nuts over uh, a wrestling match that's going to take place on Raw uh, next week. Let's talk a bit about predictions, Brandon, because we we got a bunch of them. It seems like predictions are the big thing to do at the beginning of the year where you're not reporting anything. You're just saying, maybe this happens. This this could happen. And we assign certain weight to different people based on their predictions. And when heavyweights like John O'Rand and Light Shed Partners, including a friend of the show, Brandon Ross, weigh in and make their predictions. Uh, some people have their ear to the ground and we might be, uh, we might be breaking some, uh, some news for folks that have not, uh, gotten up to speed on the light shed predictions yet. I know that the John Oran prediction made the rounds on Monday when he dropped yes. his annual column, but the, the light shed one, like it is, you, you do have to do some digging to uncover some of these, uh,
0: interesting facts. Lightshed light shed is behind. I think anybody with a LinkedIn account can log into light shed and, and see their stuff. But they, they did do their 24 predictions for 2024. Um, and they are predicting there's a, the AW versus WB angle to this. So, so I'm surprised nobody's and farmed it yet, but they are predicting that WWE raw will shift to Turner slash max. Um, they are predicting- let's, let's
3: hear here from, uh, from LightShed. Uh, this is their prediction, uh, in full. And with the context that they are also predicting that WBD gets out of the NBA yes. business. So that would be seismic for uh, WBD if there is no NBA on, uh, in their upcoming years. But here is Lightshed's prediction for 2024.
4: Number eight, WWE Raw shifts to Turner Max. When Vince McMahon, quote unquote, retired from WWE, Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel made it known that he was interested in combining UFC and WWE into a combat sports juggernaut. By last April, he had accomplished his goal in forming TKO. Merger integration appears to be going well, with the company likely to exceed synergy targets and additional opportunities on the horizon. UFC is looking at a banner year in 2024 with UFC 300, the return of Conor McGregor, and events in Saudi Arabia and the Sphere. Meanwhile, WWE content is stronger under the leadership of Paul Levesque. However, TKO stock has not performed. Content licensing is the profit engine of the company. And the SmackDown deal disappointed investors against fears of sports rights nearing a domestic top. WWE must find a partner for Raw willing to pay at least a 40% increase to satisfy investors. The Raw deal will likely take time. Most potential bidders are currently waiting to see where they stand on NBA rights, which likely won't be resolved before May. We do not believe anyone is willing to step up at this time, we believe Fox and NBCU will not be bidders, regardless. Thus, a resolution is unlikely before the end of Q2. Ultimately, we expect raw rights to end up at WBD. Given our belief that WBD will lose the NBA, Zaslav will need to add live sports, sports-like content to satisfy a distributor. As previously mentioned, WBD adding CFP rights could provide marquee event content to pair with its NCA tournament and MLB postseason rights. However, they will also need tonnage to replace weekly NBA games. Raw, which actually provides higher viewership most weeks than the NBA, serves that purpose. We do not see WBD's interest in AEW as an obstacle, and both could exist on their platforms.
3: A lot there from Rich Greenfield, in terms of his projections, just sliding that in there at the end, the idea that, yeah, we could see WWE and AEW sharing broadcast space in the WBD family. They'll have offices right next to each other. But also worth noting that WBD, in the absence of the NBA, would be looking for sports and sports-like content, which could we be putting content on where the challenger has not built up any wins as he is going for that world championship next week? Is that really sports-like in its presentation? Now, maybe more sports entertainment like. So, if they now we can also contrast this with a uh, John Orand's prediction that sees Amazon as the front runner for WWE's rights and citing the the young demographic, young males in particular. Uh, this is Orand uh, over at a Sports Business Journal about to be moving to Puck stating that Amazon gets WWE Raw rights and keeps the series on Monday nights. This hits an audience of young males, a demo where Amazon believes it sees growth in Prime subscriptions. Plus, it gives the company another night of live programming on Prime Video. So that is John Oran's prediction and citing FX as um, kind of a secondary uh, option if things don't happen with Amazon. So in essence, we have a, a multiple series of potential landing spots, all of which have been discussed. But I mean, looking at, at some of these, do any of them carry more weight than others uh, for you, Brandon, when you're trying to figure like, what makes the most sense as you are valuing the, this property and trying to balance the most return for your investors while also keeping raw in front of as many eyes oh. a, as, as you can and, and measuring this over many, many years of where the cable industry is going?
0: Yeah. And, and one or the other of these, so it's in the light shed. We do not believe anyone is willing to step up at this time. And we believe that Fox and NBCU will not be bidders. This is that that's light shed talking about raw rights. Mm-hmm. So that's a That would seem like USA is out of the,
3: the raw business. They would just have SmackDown at that point.
0: No, I think that's a belief, a prediction. Yeah, it's um, a
3: prediction. None of this can be held to them.
0: It's I uh, would not, I would not rule out USA keeping raw. Um, Which always leads to the question, why didn't NBCU just buy WWE? And maybe Vince was a factor there. Uh, Maybe wrestling, just being wrestling, was a factor there. Um, But Amazon is the one that that stirred up a lot of commotion the other day when John O'Ran mentioned and and predicted that they would take Raw. The big disadvantage with Amazon, of course, is that you're probably going to end up with a lot lower viewership if Raw is on Amazon Prime Video. Um, I went and looked through it. I've been following it. All year, all year, all football season. Yeah, this you, is... you did some great stats on, like, the Thursday Night Football.
3: Now that we're two seasons into the Amazon experiment, uh, yeah, this is Brandon's look at
0: how they have performed on, on Thursday night. So th- uh, this is the second season, if you're just joining us. This is the second season of Thursday Night Football being exclusively on Amazon Prime Video. Thursday night is, like, the, the least primetime night sunday is i believe the most watched Then monday night football this was the package no one wanted and amazon grabbed it so before it was on amazon before it was on amazon prime video it was on most of the games were simulcast on fox and the nfl network nfl network is a cable network that i think is in most cable homes but not all of them um and fox of course has great reach over the air as well as cable um but anyway it, compared to the games in 2021, when it was on both Fox and the NFL Network, the total viewership on average is higher. And I believe in every week, there, there is not a, a, a same week comparison yet that Amazon has beaten that Fox NFL Network simulcast. So we have an average of about 15 million viewers in 2021 and an average of 11.8 this year for, I guess, last season, this season, for Amazon Prime Video. So they're well behind by a few million in terms of total viewership. And it probably surprises nobody, though, to find out that in the demo, streaming skews young. And in the demo, actually, Prime Video is already there. They edged out that 2021 season where it was on Fox and the NFL Network. A 4.17 is what Amazon Prime Video did for Thursday Night Football this season. 4.17 just edging out the 4.13 that Fox and NFL network did. So in terms of the demo, they're there. They're able to deliver in the demo, what traditional TV did now is, is anything else but football going to, going to do that? I think football is a good test and and we're comparing football to, to football not comparing football to something else. Um, So in the demo, would it, so what did Raw do the other night? I think a 0.44, which is on Monday. 0.44 on Monday. Which, and it was a tough f- night for them, yeah. It was going against the national championship game for college football. Um, so that's lower than usual. Um, maybe would it do a similar demo? I mean, the, the, the big you know, problem here is that will we ever know? Uh, will Nielsen start to, to track this stuff and, and report on it the way that it does report on uh, traditional TV? and We need to ask somebody in advertising, you know, who knows something about advertising, like all of these streaming networks, including Amazon Prime Video and Peacock, they all want to and do sell advertising and Netflix is getting into that game too. How does, does, do any of the advertisers know what the currency is when all you've got from those others, unless you're advertising on Thursday night football or, or an NFL game on Peacock, you don't know you don't have a third party at least a disinterested third party like nielsen telling you what that viewership is and you know obviously i hope that nielsen starts tracking and reporting on all that stuff uh along with the traditional tv numbers that we always get um but that's you know that that's sort of the story there is that the young viewership is there um the peacock viewership people who know were kind of disappointed in the nfl game the uh, i believe it was the bills and the and the san diego chargers uh a couple Saturday nights ago, but they're going to have a playoff game this coming That's weekend. Right. And we'll be able to look at other wild card games uh, in the weekend to compare it against and see how it, how it, uh, how it delivers. Cause they are Nielsen is, you know, all exceptions are made for the NFL. The yeah. Nielsen which will
3: be very interesting down. if we, if we get a concrete number coming out of this, this playoff game for, for Peacock um, going away from Amazon. Cause I just, again, from someone that very casually is, is following the discussion. It seems like there is a lot of, angst towards the fact that this is a peacock exclusive game that people are uh it's a game people want to see but don't necessarily want to sign up for peacock for but i mean that's that is where all of this is going um that, that that is the idea is putting programming that you you have to get the service in order to follow it um i i think we're probably in terms of I think we're moving, this past year especially, with with Netflix, with this kind of transparency, we're getting there with streaming. But I think we're still a long ways from the the level of data we're getting now with WWE on traditional television and the the numbers that come out of it. I mean, the idea of Raw just going on to Amazon and we get nothing uh, in terms of this level of of data, I could very well see that being the... uh, the move away from any kind of data to see if this is working or not working
0: right and we already live in that world to the extent that when people watch ple's they know they know at least nbcu's peacock's internal data they they know that um we seen a little bit of you know trickling out uh, some some data on what the viewership is uh for these ple's on, on peacock um but we we we'll get Nick Khan's percentage increases every right. tuesday afternoon it's like we were up uh
3: 48% right. over uh over last year
0: and i'm sure he'll give us those percentage differences when it's down too right um yeah. but those but are I, those are uh, somewhat lacking i find but I, I would think ultimately when the advertisers you know if if you want streaming to be a, a lucrative advertising business they're going to have to have some sort of third party measuring it and you would think that well, would well
3: it's the more you move towards the, this model, and you're getting like prestige sports, I, I think absolutely is that you're you're going to need this. And every streamer is realizing this: the fact that you are going to need ad tiers and advertising to supplant your your viewership. Like the the dollars and cents are just not going to make sense with subscriptions alone. That advertising is going to be a key for all of these. You're going to be paying for a, a streaming service, and you're going to be educated to expect uh, advertising with it. And with that, you're you're
0: going to want that kind of transparency. And people watching a a podcast on YouTube might be surprised to know that traditional TV is still the majority of all TV time spent. I'm sure it's boosted during the fall and winter months here because of NFL viewing. Um, But streaming is not, is not, there is not more time spent on streaming than there is on traditional TV. It's still cable and broadcast are still the majority of all TV time. Um, But the decline of cable homes is just, there's no end in sight in the last yeah, that's few months. Graph, it's been, acceler- it's been acceler- accelerating. Yeah, down to about 74.5 million homes in December. Uh, look back at January 2017, some, what, what is that, five years ago, it was at 98 million. So, and you can see the, the red bars here with the year-over-year differences, and that's been accelerating in the last four or five months or so. And there's just, there's no end in sight. Maybe it'll, you know people think it'll bottom out at some point, and maybe older people who are never going to cancel cable will. You know, we'll, we'll we'll reach the bottom of that where the people who are gonna cut the cord are, are have cut it, but um, I think nobody can tell when that is.
2: so we've kind of tackled like the, the Amazon
3: side of things, and I just want to go kind of like one by one here. When we look Perfect. at the the Disney option, which would be for FX, what is the value for Disney going after WWE programming at the same time when the UFC's deal will be up with Disney in 2025? How how would you argue for or against in terms of the the Disney side of things, of what what they're looking at?
0: So I, th- I think Brandon Ross from Lightshed has said that there's – that they don't believe that there's that much more carriage value to get out of FX from adding RAW, which on the surface I would think is what you would get out of it, right? You're, you're not only increasing the ratings and increasing... Maybe a little bit of the ad revenue that FX brings in by having RAW every Monday night or whatever, but maybe you can go to cable carriers, satellite carriers and say, because we have F, you know, because we have FX as part of this Disney package and, and FX has RAW and RAW is a really highly viewed program, you should pay us a little bit more for having FX on your system. Um, but I, I think, you know, the, the argument is that, well, you, you need to, It's sort of like a fine-tuning. And when you've already got maybe something that appeals to a a skewing male demographic, maybe Raw doesn't add something that they already need that gives them the ability to make the argument to carriers that you should pay us more. Um, But on the other hand, if you're Disney, it would be good for your relationship probably to make a deal with TKO when you want to renew rights uh, for for UFC that's coming up. Um, And ESPN, that is you know going to be helped out a lot by having uh ufc be a part of it um and maybe that enhances the relationship that uh that ufc and disney have with each other i guess
3: and does that set the table that disney the raw rights are sort of your bridge towards what they might value as the bigger prize and that is the the streaming rights for the WWE network when they come due a year after that in 2026, where if they, they look at some value of what, what can be a difference maker for ESPN plus subscribers? Does, does the WWE audience represent enough that we can get something approximating what we are able to do with, with the UFC product. That's been a a big growth driver for it.
0: And like, should we think about is ESPN plus a sensible home for raw Maybe not by October 2024, but down the road when, you know, the, these lines that are on their way to intersecting between streaming and cable use, when, when those are you know, overlapping more and maybe streaming exceeding it more, is it that unreasonable to think about using raw to drive more subscriptions to ESPN plus and, you know, the buzzword? at the very least
3: simulcasting. Like I could, I could certainly see that being something. I know it's like yeah. a little weird with like FX simulcasting with ESPN plus, but I would think that like right now, ESPN plus is at about 25 million subscribers. So we're we're talking a big difference between that and the um, Amazon prime uh, number, but I would think that for Disney, their, their value would be ultimately ESPN plus and whether it is uh, simulcasting event, like, third hour of raw airs exclusively on ESPN plus and ultimately if they go after the streaming rights when they come up with uh with peacock i think that that would be in their interest of like the true value would be okay even if we are losing money on the raw rights we can obtain this viewership that are going to spend um you know the the cost for subscription to our streaming service on a monthly basis and maybe we like take a WrestleMania out of the bundle and it now becomes a pay-per-view again. I mean, that all these things have been thrown out before as potential. And I, I certainly would not rule out Disney just with the UFC connection and where they are looking for things that they can put on ESPN Plus that has a proven audience that will spend money on its big events.
0: And you know what the buzzword would be if you TKO is that you need to control churn. And the best way to control churn is with a great 52 week a year product. 52 week a year product like WWE Raw. There's right? no
3: off season, no, no union, no union. We'll work through a pandemic. That's right. We'll move yeah, the, any night of the week. We can do this deal the night before. Whatever you guys want, we'll do it. Right. That's what's been the uh, the mandate.
0: But yeah, they are at about 25 million, but they have been surpassed by Peacock recently. That's who's you know reaching towards 30 million. Yeah, don't count out uh, Peacock.
3: You don't. Th- you don't see Paramount
0: Plus making a uh, a dive into the pro wrestling space, do you? No, I see Paramount Plus uh, probably being consolidated within a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> I just read this book
3: on uh, uh Sumner Redstone and yes. uh, Les Moonves. It's called Unscripted. Mm-hmm. Insane, just insane. A lot it, of family it, infighting there, right? A lot of family infighting and uh, and like if you if you want like just a a perfect roadmap. Of how power can just overtake anything. I mean, the amount of apologists for uh for Les Moonves as he it took like just an army of uh Me Too allegations for him to finally meet his demise in that company. But the amount of people that will just uh, run cover for you, uh, when you're rich and powerful, um, there's there's no limit to the amount of people that will step in to over overlook the most uh clear discretions. Lots of uh lots of parallels you can draw. A lot of succession there. A lot of succession there, in fact. And then uh, I guess the the last one that is uh, being thrown out after Amazon and Disney is the idea of uh, WBD, which will be the most enticing landing spot for WWE Raw if it were to go there. And I mean, that's what like Lightshed is very uh, they're very confident in, in that in that very bold prediction that I would state does not seem as obvious because the key is the nba and i mean we it we could be in a world where wbd does get out of the nba business but that they are so tied to that league their brand of tnt is just in its inextricably linked with the nba to not have any presence of it i mean yes if you lose the nba like it's it's a whole new network at that point like yeah it they certainly would be saving tons to go elsewhere but i think that dramatically changes their whole strategy as it approaches just the cable business itself. Like what, what is our identity at this point, if we're out of the major rights game and what we're talking about, you know, baseball and pro wrestling as, you know, key sports outlets for, for our cable subscribers. I just think that would, that would be a massive, massive shift for WBD. If the NBA is
0: not part of uh, TNT. And light shed is predicting, that the NBA would be taken, would be renewed by ESPN, would would go to NBC, um, and would go to Amazon. And they argue that NBA wouldn't want to split it up more than that, more than three distributors for concern that it would cause confusion or be inconvenient to the consumer. Um, so that Is would it,
3: leave. Are, are NFL fans confused on Sundays when they're on like every network and...
0: You got go I mean, to go peacock I mean, here, and you got go to go. We more video packages to explain ESPN to Plus how to there. watch uh, how to watch the NBA. Um, but yeah, it, w- it would be a surprise if the if the NBA left TNT completely. Maybe they would replace it with maybe some college football. There, there, no college football. I think there's more college football rights because of the college playoff, right? Um, but I think you know David Zaslav is looking at WWE rights. I think the big benefit is to it will give him conversations with wwe which at least on a per viewer hour basis will help him evaluate the value of AEW. um it's it's one thing that there's no wwe deal here and nba rights are a factor for both um but i i if you would have asked me a year ago you know i would have been even more surprised that an AEW deal is not done yet um and i think i had always thought you know All these rights are going to get renewed by WBD for AEW. Um, And I think people need to think about the fact that AEW has three different shows and the fact that there's no deal done yet might tell you that. I I don't know if WBD is going to keep all of them. Maybe they renew one or two shows, maybe one or two of the other shows go somewhere else. Um, And you know, maybe Fox is not done with wrestling and, we know AEW would be a much cheaper alternative uh, to, to WWE. Um, but I think that's something that people need to think about is that there it may not be the case that all of the shows, Collision, Dynamite, Rampage, maybe Rampage doesn't exist anymore, maybe Dynamite is three hours long, and but that those could be split up more um, rather than just renewed in whole by WBD. That might be taking on pay-per-view rights or something like that as well on Max for AEW. Um, but I think... I think it's. I'm not as sure as, as Lightshed is. I, I would guess not that WWE is going to go to that Raw is going to go to TNT or TBS. Um, I think it's a good strategic play for WB, WBD to get an idea of what their value is and and apply that as a as a sort of wall that you're not going to go. Shoot, you're not going to give W or you're not going to give AW more than than this based on what you you know based on what the bids were, based on what the conversations were between WBD and WWE. And as well, that uh, what was included in uh,
3: I mean, John Oran's uh, forecast as it relates to UFC is noting that uh, he notes like one scenario could be that Disney cuts a TKO group deal that would incorporate both the UFC and Raw and putting Raw on FX and said that scenario would become likely if WWE is unable to find enough money from Raw suitors. But it looks like one media company will step up for that property, I think, in reference to Amazon. But his prediction is that... The- the ESPN priority is getting the UFC all taken care of, and thinks that that will be, you know, what one of the key priorities this year is locking up the UFC and the UFC not going anywhere from ESPN. And I mean, you've even had suggestions out there that UFC could be looking at a a two X increase, which is like they're in the midst of a one point five billion dollar uh, deal that works out to. I think it's about 300 million a year off the top of my head i think that's the average annual value so i mean the ufc is in for uh probably a um looks like they they will be in in great standing if if that uh plays itself out but i mean all of this subject to negotiations and if i'm wwe i'm loving these uh these predictions because it's putting the raw rights it like it's Presenting like here are three real bidders that are out there between Amazon, Disney, and now Warner Brothers Discovery. And everyone is uh, deciphering like they could go anywhere here. Um, you know, you are creating the the perception that there's a lot of interest in these raw rights, which, I mean, to their benefit would, would raise up the asking price.
0: And the thing I, I wonder about when I read things like this from John O'Ran, who is a reporter or like Shed, who are, you know, who are not reporters their their media analysts. business analysts is like how much of this is informed by things they've heard or things you know things they've been told that may actually be facts and how much of this is you know just a honest to God prediction um, and and just to, to look at the language here but it looks like one media company will step up for that property which is a Curious way to state that. It's almost like he's stating it as as fact. Like he sees this. I don't know. You you could you could parse this forever, I guess. But it it does sound like he's more than just predicting this.
3: Yeah, I would say. Like there is a reason that John O'ran's yearly forecast column is so highly anticipated because everyone looks at it as here is somebody very very much with his ear to the ground on this that. I, you know, I, I would be curious to go back into previous uh, predictions and see what his uh, his win loss record is when it comes to.
2: Were you, you ever
0: a, a WWF magazine reader in the nineties? I was, yeah, for a time. I, remember the, the Vic Venom predictions? Um, yep, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I remember looking back at those and being like, "This was this is exactly what happened." <laughs> <laughs> it's Like this guy's writing the show or something. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay. yeah, that was uh Vince Russo had quite the propensity for capital letters. Um, using uh, the various symbols to uh, to get away with with swearing in his, in his uh, columns, and constantly using the euphemism of Spaldings. Who has the Spaldings? You remember that it was um early yeah. early Vince Russo writing from uh, his Vic Venom days. Fantastic. So there you have it. Um, do you have any prediction at, at the end of this? Brandon on the spot. Where's Raw going to be? You, you're keeping the door open on USA. You think they're going to make the 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 Hell Mary at the end?
0: Yeah, I guess I would go FX and maybe some combination of FX and ESPN Plus. I think that's. I think it, FX is what I predicted for our prediction show at the end of the year, or on a, on New Year's Day.
3: You also did some uh, some context when it comes to a WBD press release this week, which is always necessary sometimes. So WBD they put out kind of their their year end press release on the performance, and among the highlights they noted was that their adult 25 to 54 audience grew 14% year over year mentioning that popular AEW Dynamite Collision and Rampage reached nearly 4 million viewers each week across TNT and TBS and then they went over figures for the NBA and the NHL now Brandon went through the the minute by minute averages for Dynamite Collision and Rampage and you noted that Dynamite minute by minute averages Eight hundred sixty-nine thousand viewers throughout the year. Collision four ninety-six. Rampage three hundred eighty-two thousand. Um, and this is some, you know, I as you mentioned on 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 Twitter, the fact that there is a way that I'm sure they get to uh, this four million uh, number, but this is sometimes press releases do need some some context.
0: And, and to be clear, we say minute by minute. We're not talking about anything that people listening would not be familiar with. If you if you've ever re- read a ratings report, that's what you're. That's what you're reading is the minute-by-minute viewership yes. average. Um, what they're probably and, – and I asked WBD that about this I think less than a year ago. I, I linked to the tweet in the, in the tweet that I made the other day. Uh, I asked WBD about a similar claim where they set up I think 4 million. Um, and obviously Dynamite, Collision, Rampage are not averaging anywhere near 4 million. Um, and they said it was the number of unique people who were watching – On Wednesdays, I think not even just from 8 to 10, but from 7 to midnight. Um, So sort of, that goes beyond primetime, obviously. Um, But it's just sort of, I think, a a media business's way of putting something in the press release that is. Sorry, that is, give me the biggest number that you can possibly find. Like, if it it were Russell I would say, did you know that we're uh, viewed by. Over seven million impressions per month that that our that our tweets hit, and it's and it's like you know okay that's a that's a big number, but that's the biggest number I can give you. Does it really mean anything in the context of of comparing it to other properties? Um, not if we don't have the same numbers for everybody else. And obviously, the numbers that get reported for ratings for WD for AW for every other telecast, sports telecast, and whatever is the average minute by minute. So it's. Uh, it's just WBD's way of trying to get the biggest number out there to celebrate this big success.
3: Our final story on uh, just, just the cable industry, um, uh, an article that came out this week from the John Wall Street uh, blog featured two uh, two names from the past. One, uh, a favorite of this show, former WWE co-president George Barrios and Brian Flynn. And do you recall what was Brian Flynn's title when he was in WWE? Do
0: you remember? He was an executive vice president of. I remember him giving a presentation about their fan He's engagement. The,
3: yes, well, they are now part of uh, ISO Seven Sports, which uh, George Barrios founded, I believe, with Michelle Wilson. Correct? I think that yes. they both they both launched this. So they were. And Brian Flynn,
0: Flynn works for ISOs too. He was yes, he was promoted to chief marketing and communications officer.
3: So they were. Essentially, they were stating that the panic over um, the television sports rights bubble bursting is greatly exaggerated and is being overstated and under researched, as Brian Flynn put it in this article. And noting the fact that leads might not be able to command a three x or four x increase in negotiations anymore, but a two x increase remains achievable and can still be a game changer for most properties. And They go on to state with uh, with Barrios feeling that within 10 years, the amount of sports rights is going to uh, be two to three X greater than they are today. That's that's sports rights as a whole. So they see nothing but growth when it comes to um, television sports rights. And the idea of the the sky falling is is greatly overstated um, that. There might be some turbulence in the short term, but overall this is still an incredibly healthy industry for sports rights. And there's there's going to be overall more gains than losses when it comes to
0: renewals. And I suppose that's consistent with the deal that the NCAA just made for a lot of their, their non basketball, non football rights. That was a small deal that it, I believe it was three X. You got a three X increase, something like that. Um, and, and I think, maybe that's sort of where we're headed. And and in fact, if you look back on some of the rate increases that have happened in in recent years, um, I'm I'm looking at uh, what the NFL got and by network, it was 1.2x, 2x, 2X, 2.1, 2.1, 1.8, 1.5. And obviously the the NFL rights are in a stratosphere of their own, uh, in the multiple billions uh, average annual value. and maybe that's sort of where we're headed in that the, the biggest rights will get smaller rate increases and the smaller rights, smaller deals will will be, you know, we'll will get bigger multiples. Um, and that that seemed to be what happened with that NCAA deal. If we're looking at what SmackDown got, which is a 1.4 X, that was only a 40% increase. People are disappointed with that. WWE is coming off of a cycle previously where they got their Writes more than tripled. Um, it just seems like the the bigger these values get, maybe the the smaller the multiples will get. Um, and I, I guess I'm I'm sort of leaning towards where Iso's capital is here. Although I'm sure they're they're probably economically incentivized to uh, to have this view as well.
3: I mean, this is kind of their business, but um, n- nonetheless, it's you know one that I mean, you had been hearing this like concern forever about. bubble that is going to burst and largely i mean you can probably isolate some cases where uh, a a league has not gotten the desire renewal but as a whole it's just continued to grow and grow and grow and their argument is that as more uh scripted and unscripted programming moves to streaming you still need to program these nights of the week. Cable is not just ending tomorrow and they need to program something that has a built-in audience and that's sports. It's not something where you have to gamble on, is this script going to work or, or is this going to be a hit in the fall season? People know what they're getting with, with sports. It's you put it in, you know what the audience is that you're going to get. And it's going to be viable as for a long time. Cable is not dying tomorrow and it's, not going to be dying in, in 10 years, if
0: George Barrios is accurate. Despite this catastrophic trend, um, cable is still profitable. You know, A few years ago, it had nearly 100 million subscribers, and now it's only got 75. But this business is still profitable. It's bringing in less profits than before, but it's still profitable. And sports, that's largely what, what the carriage fees are driven by, right? It's by people watching TV live overwhelmingly that sports even pro wrestling. So as long as this cable business is still profitable and I know almost all the streaming businesses are not profitable, but as long as this cable business is still profitable, this business still makes sense and they can still drive uh, more fees out of, uh, out of properties that are driving the business. Just before we get to our, our final topic, that is one
3: that uh, Brandon and I have been chatting about offline all week that we will get to about the drama at ESPN. Uh, just some ratings notes uh, going back to Saturday's collision. They did 402,000 viewers and a 0.13 in the demo. This was going up against the, uh, the Houston Indianapolis Colts game. Uh, they were down 18% in viewers from two weeks ago because there was no collision the previous Saturday due to the World's Collide pay-per-view. And then we had Raw on Monday night. And this was a, an interesting pattern that we saw. 1,464,000 viewers and a 0. .44 in the demo up against the, uh, the college football national championship game that across ESPN's platforms did over 25 million viewers. And uh, Raw was down 16% in viewership, 27% in the demo coming off the big episode last week uh, with, the, with the Rocks appearance that uh, bolstered things. Um, but Brandon had the, uh, the quarter hour breakdown. And for those that are watching, which segment do you think CM Punk appeared in?
0: Are you asking me? Yes.
3: He was there in the first quarter, and and this was um, uh, an audience that they tuned in to see Punk and Drew McIntyre go back and forth for 10 minutes, and then... uh, off to off to watch the the college game i i assume where
0: yeah and i uh, believe no no ads in this first yeah no ads in this first 15 minutes the next two quarters did have two ads in them but i'd be curious to see what the when the actual kickoff time was of the college football championship game if it was maybe around 8 15 or so that wouldn't surprise me um but yeah it's a it's a stark difference between the first quarter hour and, and everything else yeah, I mean, it was uh, like they were down to 1.3 million viewers for the
3: start of uh, Nakamura and Cody. I mean, the, the third hour is... Uh, although last week, there was quite the, quite a bump that they got for the main event with Seth Rollins yeah. and, and Drew McIntyre. So, um, yeah, that that was kind of the, the story of Raw. Like, you knew there was going to be a hit after the combination of the football game and coming off um, an exceptionally strong number uh, the, the week before. But next week... They're going to be killed going against the NFL, you would think. And then after that, they are football free for, uh, for the foreseeable future going into mania season. Yep. And will the Bills be, be playing beyond uh, next weekend? Is that your, what's your official prediction?
0: I, th- I think they can beat the Steelers. Um, this might end up with a, another Chiefs-Bills AFC Championship game. Oh, man.
3: Yeah, they are. The Chiefs are playing Monday night, so Raw's going up against uh, Taylor Swift potentially.
0: That's right, boy, and it's, uh, it's going to be a tough. The, the female viewership will probably be way up, and we'll have to see if there's any uh, downturn in female viewership for Monday Night Raw. Well, that will be
3: something to watch. Tuesdays, Patreon.com/slash/Russellnomics. You can see what what the effect the Taylor Swift effect is on the Raw female viewership audience. But we are going to wrap things up with a discussion on former. WWE broadcaster Pat McAfee, who launched his show on ESPN earlier this year, back in September, to coincide with the NFL season. And I, hen- I, I stress his show, because this is a guy that owns his show, that is licensing his show to ESPN. And all of this goes back to last week, where uh, Pat McAfee and uh, Aaron Rodgers, in doing their weekly segment, uh, pretty much lit up a firestorm involving Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, don't have to go into all of this. They have gone back and forth and uh, involving uh, Jimmy Kimmel, not being named on the Jeffrey Epstein list. And then Pat McAfee responding to an article in the New York post by Andrew Marshand accused Norby Williamson, who is the executive editor and head of event and studio production at ESPN of trying to sabotage their show, leaking numbers, leaking data because everyone knows television numbers, Brandon, very hard to come by. You need to, you need to only know, Norby would have them. Only Norby would have access to television viewership figures. He's the uh, only one with the Nielsen account. That's it. So this has led to a, a civil war within ESPN of people that have been, uh, believed to have been wronged by Norby Williamson over the years that are now on the outside and just got the popcorn ready to watch the, this battle as Norby Williamson, the man who is never named in these situations was named on air. By Pat McAfee, and McAfee's in a situation where he's not technically an employee at ESPN, and boy, to be Jimmy Pitaro or Burke Magnus that has to play a peacemaker in, in this whole thing. I mean, this is everything for the sports media ecosystem of names that all of the, the Andrew Marchands of the world, I mean, this is high drama. I mean, you've got Andrew Marshand is now part of this story. Like it's very difficult for him to even kind of report on on this. Uh and he did he has addressed it on his podcast and um
0: quite the uh, the rebuttal uh that that he had. Did you listen this morning to Andrew Marchand and, and Christopher Mad Dog Russo?
3: Yes, Mad Dog uh stepping in for uh, for John O'Rant um in the rotation of uh, guest co-hosts. Yeah, I mean, so boy Am I am I do you feel I'm explaining this accurately or we so, getting, this is
0: a super in the weeds story for the most ardent sports media consumers to add one one detail Aaron Rodgers who if people don't know is a you know a multiple time MVP quarterback uh current, he, he tore his ACL in the first game of the season for the Jets um, Achilles tendon got it Achilles he, tendon He appears on Pat McAfee's show every Tuesday Reportedly, he receives a million dollars for doing so. <laughs> um,
3: How much yeah. do you and I
0: pay each other to do this? Um, only half a mil, right, to yeah. our respective charities? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to check with my accountant. Um, but I, I, th- there's m- many things, I think, in this story that are wrestling-like. I mean, here you have got Andrew Marchand's saying McAfee has appeal as a WWE-style talk show host. But, but anyway... Um, I think there's a lot of interesting things here in related to like for for one thing, journalism and what is and isn't journalism. Um I I, I sent you the link this morning to the uh the most recent appearance from Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show. And I got this, through fifteen minutes of it. You get you listened to fifteen minutes of it. It's about an hour long. Yeah. Um and P- Pat McAfee is now this is an, started out as just an internet show, just a YouTube show, very popular. Um And ESPN- Wait, let me just share my own quick story
3: here. When he was launching this show, okay, this is how like DIY this operation was. Like he was setting up this studio on his own in Indianapolis. I had somebody associated, like whether it was a PR company, I can't remember, reached out to me saying, "Could you interview sure Pat advice. McAfee oh, really? to to uh, promote his show and?" You think he'll like, come on? He came on. He like came on with me. And like my only like knowledge of him is through like WWE. But so you did interview him. Oh, I did interview I, him. For oh, post wrestling. It, yes. This wow. was, uh, I want to say summer of 2019. But it was like oh. he was reaching out to people to just get the word out about this. Um, and now to see like what this show has grown into. I mean, he is now like among the most influential like sports media figures I- in the country. Without and question, he, this, this wa- last week, I've proven that.
0: And he's also a panelist on College Game Day, which is a big deal. It's the ESPN show. It's like the pregame show for the college football game. Um, but the, the, so by the time they're talking yesterday, um, all of this controversy and media reporting and scuttlebutt is, 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 you know, out there. And now Aaron Rodgers is back on. and He's going to address the controversy and the things that were said about Jimmy Kimmel. Um, did you explain the Jimmy Kimmel situation and the and how Jeffrey Epstein is related to this? <laughs>
3: so, Aaron Rodgers, in his initial comments that started this whole war, were was in regards to uh, J- Jimmy Kimmel being concerned if the the Jeffrey Epstein list is going to be released. And certainly, your takeaway from that that Rogers was insinuating is that Jimmy Kimmel would be on this list, and Jimmy Kimmel threatened to sue him over over this defamatory comment like linking him to like uh, being a pedophile so like this is all playing out remember jimmy kimmel is on abc they are on ESPN. everyone is under the disney corporate banner and there's now two of your big properties the pat mcafee show and the jimmy kimmel jimmy kimmel live are at war over this comment pat mcafee tries to defuse the situation rogers comes on uh this appearance on tuesday doesn't like does not like uh, wave the flag of apology, try pretty much tries to backpedal and state. I was not referring to him as a didn't clearly state Jimmy Kimmel is not a pedophile and he's not on that list, uh, but they didn't listen to what I was stating. I was just stating that if he was on that list, that would be a win for me because I've been talking about this for so long. Tried to do the run around was, it was trying to appease his audience, but at the same time, I don't think he was courting any lawsuits. Um, yeah. Nonetheless,
0: but anyway, at the same time, Pat McAfee is burying a, an ESPN executive, Norby Williams. And in this interview, um, Aaron Rodgers, you know, sort of, sort of tears into uh, Mike Fox, who is another ESPN executive who had condemned his, Aaron's comments. Um, but, but I think there's some interesting questions around, like, Pat McAfee in this interaction is sort of mocking the idea – Half, half, you know, there's there's a continuum of sincerity here in his tone about how I'm going to check you because everybody's sort of criticizing everybody. A lot of people are criticizing Pat McAfee for letting Aaron Rodgers say things without being challenged, including anti-vax stuff, um, including stuff like this about Jimmy Kimmel. Um, and... The argument being, like, what, what is the responsibility here of Pat yeah. McAfee as the host? And it's something that... Here he is in this media environment where he's become kind of a very popular talk show host. His background is as a professional football punter. <laughs> um, yet he's grown into having a very large audience. He's now on ESPN, like the biggest cable network in the United States. And he's sort of mocking this idea idea, but also kind of engaging in it that he should check his interview subject. And I think it speaks to this sort of broader, I think it speaks to so many things This this situation does, but I think it speaks to one thing, this this sort of broader um, situation we have where in a fragmented media environment where all of a sudden people become popular show hosts and what they don't, they're not journalists. And, and, and should somebody adhere to a certain standard at a, at a certain point. And what, at what point is that? Is it just arbitrary to, to, to draw that line? Um, I tend to think, you know, um, and with, with great power comes great responsibility as, as, as Spider-Man said, and that you've, you know, when you've got a bigger and bigger audience, you have a greater and greater responsibility to, to make sure that you're telling the truth.
3: I, I, completely co sign with that i think that regardless of the size of your platform you have a responsibility to truth and accuracy but i think more and more that that has slipped away and not only is it um you know less um you're you're seeing that practice less at, at this level it's almost incentivized not to i mean aaron Rodgers is not coming on with pat mcafee to um to be challenged or debate his politics and pat mcafee has cultivated a space where he's a personality and one that he is able to attract a lot of divergent guests that are going to come on and that's part of the appeal for him that it's it's going to be an interview that it's more of a like a welcoming environment rather than a a journalistic enterprise like a outside the lines which is a program that ESPN has discontinued and I think you're only going to see more of these like right down like there was conflict over the fact that you know Aaron Rodgers is compensated for doing these appearances so I mean at face value like the it it really comes down to like what you are expecting out of your host here in terms of facts and you know the responsibility to the audience that are going to be taking in this information and and what what you owe to them in terms of being factual when it comes to like it's one thing to be talking about uh football or even even like you know different subjects but when we're getting to like health and safety and vaccinations like we are talking about real significant issues that um regarding a, a pandemic that killed over a million americans
0: and to bring it back to wrestling, I guess the the relation, the thing that I think about in wrestling is the sort of environment that we have in, in wrestling media, in particular around the, the press conferences that are a, a relatively new thing in wrestling, and the questions that we have around like, you know, what's what's the proper way to conduct oneself in these situations? Um, should we act like fans? Is it okay to be a fan first, uh, or should should everybody be conducting themselves with a certain a certain effort towards getting transparency for the good of the industry and the fans Um,
3: yeah and it's one that's not going to end and i mean from my perspective i mean i certainly if we had watched that world's end press conference and the whole jericho story was not addressed i think a lot of us would have looked at that as like a really bad look overall if that never comes up and i think you would have rightly seen a lot of um, criticism over and, and it's never like isolating. It's, it's the whole media. Like everyone is lumped in good, bad. It's, it's the whole media as one function, but we didn't have that. We had three separate instances of it being brought up. Very happy to see that those were brought up. Now at the same time, I'm looking like when I'm at these press conferences that, uh, there are people such as yourself that I, I kind of know what, what kind of perspective you're coming at this with the type of questions you're going to want. I also look at other people that might be running a personal blog that if they're approved to come and cover this, do they have to conform to what I feel is the rule of the reporter at a press conference? Like they are serving their audience that maybe they, they are not doing like hard stories or are going to be going into uh, scandals or things like that it's like i don't necessarily feel comfortable policing others At the same time it's sort of this this weird mix where i, I don't want to see these just become um promotional vehicles and this becomes kind of a like that's i, I at the very least i, I want to know that there is going to be those opportunities for people to ask real serious questions and to use these for that. But that's personally like what I want out, out of these press conferences.
0: And I think the Pat McAfee show is sort of em- emblematic of this sort of new media environment where I <clears> think <throat> the, the people, reason why people, a lot of people like it is that it's, you know, he's not a dry, hard-hitting journalist at all. You know, these are the vibes of the show are like, ah, it's just some guys shooting the shit and, and talking like your buddies. And I think it's no, no coincidence. There's a lot of reasons why. why, But it's no coincidence why people like Vince McMahon and Brock Lesnar was a guest on this show, too. People who don't do interviews very often at all. Dana White. Um, Dana White. Frequent um, guest. Obviously, there's an employment relationship between Pat McAfee and Vince. Um, but this is a situation where, you know, this is not a journalist at all. And, so, you know, ju- judging by sort of his, his tone— yesterday he's sort of resistant to that and he's you know he again he's a he's a sports talk show host i guess and a and a you know former football player um and and, and he I think, has
3: no it, it, this is more just the 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 reality of the situation there's no incentive for him to change that either it's not as though like this style has worked beyond anyone's belief of where this guy was four years ago of how he has risen up to a point ESPN where he's painting millions to do this. He is like the whole story of this week is, is this guy bigger than ESPN? Like, and you can make that argument that if he were, if ESPN ceased, its relationship would Pat McAfee fall into the ether far from it. Um Like he has crafted this style and it has worked exceptionally well for him. And I would just say like to those out there, like, everyone is going to have competing uh, goals. If one of them is access to guests and that is sort of your, that is your lot in your given industry is securing guests, having big names and having that constant pipeline of access. Then you are going to have to make certain compromises because it, you're going to want to create that, that kind of environment where guests are going to want to come onto your show uh, willingly and, and, I mean, it's like I can only speak for myself that my my ability to make a living in this industry or what I do day to day, week to week, none of it is contingent on access. If tomorrow I was told that I can no longer attend AEW shows, WWE shows, it's not going to change any of my day to day work. I'm not reliant on any of it. But that's that's me. It's others that I mean, that might not be their reality. And that's. That's decisions everyone has to make. And and this goes way beyond wrestling like this is as well. And if you are a reporter and you want to cultivate sources and then you're also doing opinion based material where maybe you're going to have to come down hard on people that you have relationships with. These are all human dynamics that every reporter, every broadcaster has to grapple with. And it's sort of what is what is your role and what are you looking for out of your your given field of, of coverage.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's well said. And I, I think it's, you know, this whole situation, and we should mention, too, that Pat McVee is not an employee of ESPN. I guess he's no. being, being contracted. I guess makes him an independent contractor. Um, but yeah. He's
3: li- it, the show is licensed. <laughs> he might have some, through college game day, there might be some actual um, employee agreement. But the, the show is his. He He owns the show and licenses it to... ESPN which is like the
0: and they're swearing on this there's people saying the f-word on ESPN apparently that's remarkable
3: he's listen he's he knows where how far he, he can go and it, it tells you where where the line is like we have seen public battles before with ESPN personalities and it's like ESPN it's sort of the no personality is bigger than ESPN and this is sort of challenging that that fact and you do have you know, this popular host that I think they, but at time he is at loggerheads with like the number three guy in the company in Norby Williamson, the guy wields a lot, a lot of power. And it's not like Pat McAfee has, has backed down from this. I mean, he has made it clear. I have a great relationship with Jimmy Pitaro with Burke Magnus, who are like your number one and number two, um, but doesn't have anything positive to say about Norby Williamson. And it like, it's fascinating theater, but it is also like a lesson in, the, the politics of television broadcasting and any kind of work dynamic where you are, your, your ability to cultivate leverage and utilize it is that's part of the game wherever you are working at.
0: Yeah. And, and the belief of people who cover this is that if this were anybody else at ESPN, this person would be suspended, maybe fired.
3: Yeah. I mean, look at look at the the trials that Bill Simmons went through just being critical of Roger Goodell, a rights holder and was suspended. Uh, at the time, and I mean, Bill Simmons was as big a personality as there was at ESPN, and ultimately, you know, he he did leave ESPN. But it is interesting to hear the reactions from people now that are kind of outside ESPN. Your Dan Levitards, your Jamel Hills, who can now speak freely about this. But I mean, when you're in that system, like Norby Williamson, sounds like the boogeyman that you just do not want to get on the wrong side of. And Pat McAfee does not appear to have any concern about that. I, I don't think he. I think he's reached that level where he realizes he is not reliant on any one entity. He is not reliant on the letters ESPN. And whether that's right or wrong, I think he feels like I could lose this tomorrow and I'm not going to skip a beat. Yep. Just like Brandon Thurston, reliant on no one. Uh, subscribers. Yeah. Well, yes, we, 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 <laughs> we all answer to somebody, Brandon. Yes. All right. Uh, before we go, we have a, we have a super chat I here have a super from... Chat. Uh, her niece Dela Cruz, behind on the live video, but raw on ESPN Plus could work. Currently I have the Hulu bundle and ESPN Plus shows appear on my Hulu homepage.
0: Yeah, Do and that's the ES- idea. Do you have ESPN Plus? I have it through my phone carrier. I think I have the entire bundle through my okay. I have all three services, which are Hulu Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. Um Yeah, I mean that's the belief. As as Hulu is transferred here from being something that's no longer co-owned between NBCU and Disney, between just being a lone Disney property, um, I believe that process has started. That the notion is these these could end up being one app, or or who knows what. Um, But that's that's probably part of the consolidation that we'll see in the year or several to come, where there's you know maybe fewer streaming services and they all come together, Um, and will you know will it be more accessible, more um, more friction-free to uh, to just find Raw, whether it's through ESPN Plus or through Hulu.
3: See, when ESPN Plus comes across my timeline, it is on a Saturday night when there's a UFC pay-per-view and the amount of anger people have with this app, it just sounds like it is a, a chore and a half. But I cannot speak from firsthand experience not having it available in Canada. Yeah,
0: I'm going to sound old here. but like I, I have had some frustrating experiences with, with streaming lately. And the thing I just keep thinking about is like, you know, uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll sort of uh, sarcastically make the comment, you know, in in the living room. It's like, you know, this never happened with, with a good old over-the-air antenna. And, like, I can, I can pick up, like, some of the NFL games on the antenna. And, like, you know, you never have buffering issues. You never have internet issues. There's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of flexibility in streaming because you can cancel and renew whenever you want. But there's a lot of inflexibility in terms of people who are used to changing the channel, you can't really change the channel when you're, when you're streaming, right? You can't jump from the NFL game that you're watching on Peacock to the NBA game on the other channel. It's, it's kind of a hassle. And like, these are problems that hopefully technology and, and these media companies can solve.
3: Well, if there's one audience to test it out with, that will be more than understanding and patient it's professional wrestling fans that will give you a long a long leash to figure things out when it comes to they're, a, a they're the bellwether for every technology they are. Well, we thank all of you for joining us for this guestless edition of Pollock and Thurston. Uh, we will be back next Wednesday, and uh, we will see who or what stops by. Um, at McAfee if he wants to stop by, more than welcome to. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: Aaron Rogers, probably unlikely. Probably not. Hopefully his Achilles tendon uh, heals well and he's able to play next year. But if he would like to, I, I, I don't know if he has a, a fit for Pollock and Thurston, actually. Well, we we shall see.
3: Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Uh, join Brandon every Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. A great solo show by Brandon. Was that all one take? Yeah, it was live. Live to take. It was great. live it was it live after. for everybody, not even to tape. It was live. Uh, Very impressive feat. The man went 90 minutes, breezed by.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, there, I, I hit the, the record button, and I'm like, this could be 11 minutes, and I run out of things to say, or it could be a lot longer. Um, but it was longer. It was 120. Maybe I'll, I'll try to keep it under 60 this Sunday. How about that?
3: Oh, it, was, it was a great job. Great listen, as always. Sundays, WrestleNomics. Myself and Wei Ting, we are back tonight. Rewind to Dynamite here on the Post Wrestling YouTube channel. And then Thursday, postwrestlingcafe.com, one of our bonus shows, we have a review of WWF Breakdown 1998 from the burgeoning metropolis of Hamilton, Ontario at Cops Coliseum featuring Steve Austin, Kane, and The Undertaker. What a 1998 main event. Could you name one uh, that that resonates more for uh, 25 years ago than that?
0: My, my memory of, of, of these pay-per-view names in this era is just Vince McMahon using all of the pay-per-view names as, like, you know, the the, the, the punchline in his go-home promo. You are going to be broken down or something like that, you know? <laughs> well, you can
3: revisit 1998 WWF, and boy, is it a culture shock. Uh, so that's coming up on Thursday. So thanks to everyone for joining us. Join us every Wednesday, 3 Eastern. That is it. Goodbye.